1: Was appointed war artist for the balkans in the first world war he favored pale pinks yellows and mauves and painted the great fire of salonica as he witnessed it from an observation balloon in august 1917. it was a morning after scene brightly calm with a floaty view from the heavens in his signature pastels remote as a child's dream and thinly decorative He painted smoke wafting in floral cumulus above the stricken city. There were no visible human or animal figures. Testimony, he called it. Proud of the composition and the palette, and smugly pleased to have painted a big event. But this was the first night, and the fire was still a surprise. Shapes were dark against carnival colours, and the wind gave everything a quality of animation. Those who viewed Wood's painting later, in London, former residents and soldiers said, no, it wasn't like that.
0: Gail Jones is the author of nine novels, including One Another, Our Shadows and The Death of Noah Glass. Gail is also the winner of the 2023 ARA Historical Novel Society Australasia's Prize for Historical Fiction in the adult category for her novel Salonica Burning. Gail Jones, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast and congratulations on winning the ARA Historical Novel Prize for 2023.
1: Thank you. Yes, I'm, I'm very honoured. Uh, it was a very strong long list, uh, a short list of writers whose work I admire, so it's a great honour and pleasure to be listed with them.
0: The Historical Novel Society Prize recognises and encourages uh, this genre of fiction for both its entertainment and educational value. But where lies the potential in historical fiction for you as an author?
1: Uh, Well, I think of historical fiction as a rather strange category. I'm not sure that it has a genre because it does include, as we know, sort of Regency romances, Dickens, uh, everything in between, and and very sombre. Often it's very sombre and taken as a kind of explanatory mode, that it gives us an explanation of history by inserting characters in there, And I suppose my take on the idea of a historical novel is a little more unorthodox. I'm not interested in a seamless narrative and in some explanation of history or even a cause and effect idea of history. I'm much more interested in perspective, the insecurity of perspective, the fact that there are many kinds of many faceted versions of what goes on, some of which are internal to do with individuals and to do with individual memory. So I wanted, I guess, to perhaps shudder that uh, conservative model of historical fiction for something that's a little more uncertain and a little more edgy. I do believe that fiction does something very different to to traditional historiography. And as I suggested, that especially war histories, and I've read a few of them now, um, they're very very invested in cause and effect and very invested in the idea of a sovereign point of view from which everything kind of is made into a seamless narrative. Fiction can uh, disperse point of view. Fiction can enter the inner lives of characters uh, and, and think about ideas of witness and testimony in quite a radical way. It's not about the the satisfying explanation or the idea of this happened and then this happened and then this happened. It's much more about what, what kinds of messy, um, improbable, surprising human responses arise uh, in any grave historical situation like a war.
0: And historical fiction relies on a framework of history uh, and also the people that populate that history. Where are we geopolitically? And what is the history that informs Salonika burning?
1: Well, there are two histories because this novel deals with the convergence of two big historical events, the First World War and the burning down of a city. Salonica is a fascinating city because it it was originally um, a very important Greek city. It's now the second largest city after Athens, but it was a Greek city um, established by Alexander the Great. But then in 1430, it became part of the Ottoman Empire. So it was ruled for 500 years by the Ottoman Turks in Constantinople. And this meant that you had a, a sort of Islamic city on the outskirts of Europe, if you will. But what distinguished Salonika and what makes it fascinating to me is that it's a very cosmopolitan city. There were Muslims, Jews and Christians all living more or less peaceably for 500 years. Uh, then there's the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, then there is the, uh, the re-Hellenization of the city, the destruction of mosques, and it becomes the Thessalonica in the 20th century, or I should say the Thessaloniki. The other thing that really interested me about Thessalonica as, as a sort of cosmopolitan polyglot city is that it had the largest population of European Jews. So when there was the uh, famous Alhambra Decree in 1492, which expelled Jews from Christian Spain, Salonika as it was then uh, gave refuge to that population. So it had a a really large Jewish population and they spoke their own language that they brought with them from Spain. They spoke a language called Latino, which is a sort of Hebraic Spanish. And up up to the 20th century, there were still these large Ladino-speaking populations of Jews who'd come from Spain in the 15th century, and I just find that extraordinary to contemplate. So it's a very ancient city, full of was full of monuments. Um, that Jewish population was destroyed in 1944 when the Nazis swept in, and they did exterminate more or less every Jew in Salonika. So it's a tragic city, but also a layered sort of palimpsestic city of different different histories, different cultures, different languages. The other big event, of course, is the First World War. So... We all know about the Western Front, or we tend in Australia to think a lot about the Western Front in the First World War, but the Eastern Front, the port city of Salonika, was the gateway to the Eastern Front. And it was where were assembled the armies of the settler colonies. So there were French soldiers there from Vietnam. There were African soldiers there from Senegal, two French colonies. There were Indian soldiers from um, British India, so-called British India. There were Australians and New Zealanders. And and so you had, again, another kind of cosmopolis, another cosmopolitan population who were drawn together for the war effort. And in 1917, uh, most of the city burnt down. And I was very interested in who might have witnessed that extraordinary coalition of historical events. First World War and the burning of an entire city.
0: The story in Salonica Burning is driven by these four carefully etched characters who are inspired by the lives of real people. Who are these real people that have driven this story?
1: Well, I should say from the outset that it's not a historical novel in as much as I'm trying to render the lives of um, four people who interest me in all their historical detail and complexity. Four figures inspired the story, if you like, and I've not used their surnames because I wanted to keep that that margin of imaginative negotiation alive in the telling of the story. The one that I investigated first is a woman called Olive King, whom not many people perhaps have heard of unless you're an his- Australian historian. But Olive uh, was a volunteer ambulance driver in the First World War, and she worked with a hospital run by suffragettes called the scottish women's hospital and olive was from sydney she was a, a sort of heiress in a sense her father was very wealthy uh he was a widower and indulged his two daughters she was in london when the war broke out the first world war and decided to join up as a volunteer as an ambulance driver And was given money by her father to buy her own ambulance, which is really remarkable, that she could drive, that she had funds, that she joined the war effort. And she uh, returned to Australia after the war and was engaged mostly in community projects. And I thought that she was a very interesting figure. But when I started looking at her story, I thought I ought to see um, who else was in Salonika in 1917, who else might have witnessed the burning down of the city. And there are extraordinary archives on the internet of um, First World War records. And what I discovered is that there were three names that I recognized. One was Miles Franklin, Stella Miles Franklin, uh, the Australian author, uh, Stanley Spencer, who became one of the great modernists, uh, English man, great modernist painter of the 20th century. Uh, and Grace Palethorpe, another extraordinary figure. Actually, I'm waiting for someone to write a biography of Grace Palethorpe. Uh, so there was this constellation of really interesting figures who were all there at that moment, give or take a few months. There's a slight sort of fudging on my part, uh, but I uh, Olive left an account in letters to her father of the burning down of Salonica, and uh, and Stanley was there for the longest. Stanley was in Macedonia for three years.
0: So these figures from history have uh, become characters in Salonica Burning. By winding back the clock on their life histories and dispensing with surnames, we seem to see them in a different light. What's the light that you want us to see those people in?
1: Uh, I suppose I wanted to emphasise the suffering rather than the heroism of those who go to war Not as combatants, but as witnesses and as helpers, and indeed in the medical service. My character Stanley, for example, although he wanted to join the infantry and later was moved into the infantry, he was working as a medical assistant, carting bodies from the front. Uh, The other three were all working at the Scottish Women's Hospital. So what I'm interested in is the sort of anguish of people who had to deal with Uh, the extraordinary, grotesque casualties of that war, and then to patch people up and send them back to the front. I always thought that must have been such a powerfully um, difficult experience, such a morally challenging experience for those historical actors.
0: And the lives of your four characters intersect at the Scottish Women's Hospital. What's the history behind that institution?
1: The Scottish Women's Hospitals were run by Scottish suffragettes. So they enlisted funds from across the Commonwealth. Uh, and most of the participants, most of the nurses, w- w- all of this stuff were women. And many of them were volunteers or just paid a sort of subsistence wage, if you like. Uh, and I, th- I didn't know about the Scottish Women's Hospital when I first investigated this story. Most of them were tent hospitals back from the front. There were 14 of them across Europe by the end of the First World War. And I just think it's, it's part of the historical record that I wanted to consider and to think about all of the volunteers who came from all over the so-called British Commonwealth in order to give their services, not as combatants, but as um, healers. And I just think that that history is, is extraordinary and seems to have attracted women of remarkable, you know, courage.
0: The Scottish Women's Hospital is a place of healing, but also a place of suffering, a place where the carnage of war is on full display. What quality in a person seeks that kind of experience?
1: That's an excellent question, and I'm not sure how to answer it. I recall that George Bernard Shaw went to the front Uh, and reported back on the excitement that soldiers felt when they first arrived, that they had imagined a big adventure, they had anticipated a challenge to their boring lives back in England. And he said that the difficulty of war is how can, or the the challenge of of peace, if you like, is how to give young people that excitement, that sense of purpose, that sense of, of identification with a larger cause, in, in peacetime, not in wartime, but he was acknowledging that war um, offers a sort of fantasy of adventure and fulfilment, and clearly did uh, for many Australians as well. You know, the numbers who enlisted in Australia were extraordinary.
0: None of your four protagonists fit the mould of regular military personnel. Yours are far more diverse. They are or will be artists and writers, but caught up in a moment where they are also surgeons, ambulance drivers, and humble hospital orderlies. What can these people in particular tell us about the experience of war?
1: I, I think they can move the focus away from ideological questions of nationhood, of defining enemies, the state legitimation of violence in the prosecution of territory, to much more intimate questions about what does it mean to deal with a damaged body? What does it mean to have the ethical challenge of history that is to do with the damage of history rather than its ideological uh, triumphs, if you will? And, And one of the important issues for me was to deconstruct the idea of enemy, to really interrogate that idea of enemy. And my novel without... Any spoilers or without giving away the plot, um, seeks in a sense to, to move around this idea of, well, well, who is the enemy here and why, why might we not um, have other means of resolving conflict? It's still an important question today in this historical moment.
0: Gail Jones, thanks for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Greg.
0: I've been talking to Gail Jones about her ARA Historical Novel Society Australasia's award-winning book in the adult category for 2023, Salonika Burning. It's published by Text Publishing, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Book People Gift Cards. Share the joy of reading with a Book People Gift Card. To find out more, visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au.